0: Hello, I'm Steph and I'm Al and this is The Sauce, a podcast from Chicken and Chips Casting. We're bringing you conversations with people we love, talking about things we love and hate or feel strong feelings about. And it's all no BS.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) We're really doing it now.
1: We're really doing it. Do you think that every time we start an episode, though, we'll say, oh, my God, we're doing an episode blah. I think so. I think it's because we've been thinking about it
0: for so long and we just finally, we got given this great advice uh, quite a while ago by these two fabulous um, women and their advice to us was for anything that we were overthinking, just fucking do it.
1: Yeah, and finally, um, a billion years later.
0: Yeah, so we are we are just fucking doing it.
1: Yeah. Here we are, <laughs> Which four is episodes in, and professional podcasters.
0: Yeah, totally. We've ironed out most of the kinks.
1: Yeah. I think. <laughs> Until everyone <laughs> listens and they're like, this is kinky as fuck. What the fuck I mean, are you not guys doing? Fuck, anyway. <laughs> It didn't work out.
0: Well, that was, yeah, it, can, wow. it could get kinky. We don't know. It
1: could. We don't know. Depends well, who we have guest. on.
0: Today's yeah. guest could get very kinky.
1: Yeah. Um, but let's start with what? Um, our sauce. What's your sauce this week? I have,
0: uh, like, a. it's a fairly boring but really um, stupidly uh, Steph thing that I've done this week. Okay. Um, so my car insurance was due on Wednesday, right. um, my comprehensive car insurance and <laughs> you might think this is pretty boring, but whatever. Um, and yesterday, so a day late, I was like, Hmm, I might just call another insurer and see if they can like beat this price. And I've been with this insurer for like, uh, I want to say like 10 years, yep. right? So I called this other insurer and they beat the cost and blah 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 and then I got home and I was re- and I was thinking about it and then I got both the policies out and I like studied it and I was like oh it's not actually better. And then because it was too late to call them back, this new insurer, I just didn't sleep all night last night because I was like I can't I can't go with I'm I'm no I'm too loyal. I need to stay with the one that I'm with that I've been with for 10 years. They're really looking after me. Oh, my God. I know. It's the it's like the weirdest. But this is co- constantly what I do. Like I just go on mundane tasks. I'm always just like, hmm, I should really do due diligence on this task. And then I do it and I'm like, oh, I haven't really done this properly. So I need to renege on that. And this morning I spoke to a lovely guy called Toby and he gave me a full refund.
1: Wow. That... <laughs> Do you feel good about the time you wasted?
0: No, I don't feel good about the time I wasted because I could have just clicked a button and just hit renew Renew. and not ever thought about it. But I thought about it for three days and it was due on Wednesday.
1: Good. So I think the lesson here for Stan is to just leave things as they are. Just let it it go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's a little bit of insight into my personality.
1: I really, you know what? (laughs) I think you should be proud and I respect the fact that you went and tried to get a better deal. I think that's very savvy and smart and you went about, you did the right thing, you had the right intentions. It just didn't quite work out this time, but that's okay.
0: No, Uh, well, the the key takeaway I got was um, make sure that you read the policy before you decide to switch. Or even explore that because I didn't have any of the answers when I was on the phone with them. Yeah. And then obviously they make you sign up on the spot so you feel bad and you're like, oh, "Oh, I need to sign up now. And –
1: Wow, they really got you, didn't they?
0: Yeah, but I always knew in the back of my head that there was a cooling off period. So I was like, whatever,
1: whatever I say here, that's – Doesn't go. Whatever. Well done. (laughs) So –
0: Sorry to Vicky, whose time I wasted also yesterday.
1: Poor old Vicky, she's all right. She Should sells insurance. She's, she's okay. the kiss day to day.
0: Oh. Vicky. Um, hopefully your source is uh much better than that.
1: No, mine is not interesting. I do. I just have one status update on my third stool arrived. I just Perfect. wanted to. Yeah, so I've got all my stools. That I just needed to get that out off my chest. Great. Um, but my source this week is really boring, and I think the only reason it's it is my source is because it's still sitting right at the forefront of my mind. And it was just it was a, the tantrum this morning. Um, it just it pissed me off. Like, oh, I woke up this morning for the first time in ages where she didn't wake up at five thirty. And you're I
0: talking stopped, about Riley, your daughter.
1: Talking about my daughter. Yeah, I didn't have a tantrum. Not well, you. Basically, almost did. Um, I woke up and I literally was opening her blinds and we were singing It's a Beautiful Morning because we were both so refreshed having slept longer than 5.30 and just we were just so over the moon with it. I was like, what a great freaking morning. What a time to be alive. And then I put her breakfast in front of her on her table, which is right next to the couch, like near it. And then she proceeded to melt down because she said that she couldn't see the TV anymore from her table, which she can most definitely see because they're right like next to each other like anyway now nothing's changed (laughs) and she just wouldn't accept it and it was rolling around on the floor tears snot crying screaming like absolute total meltdown and i just i had to just walk away for a while because and all i think now is you just ruined my morning we were singing it's a beautiful morning and Mm. And then 20 minutes later, when she finally realized that was unreasonable, she sat at her table and watched her TV while she ate her breakfast. Meanwhile, she's fully moved on and I'm just seething because my morning was ruined. <laughs> anyway, I'm still moving on from it. because Yes, was only a couple of hours I hours see. So yeah. Is my source, just there's something happening at the moment with tantrums. I yes,
0: think. Mercury, Mercury's in retrograde.
1: Is it? Uh,
0: yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: Okay, because I immediately was like, it's mm. not a full moon, so what is it? Because no,
0: Mercury. She was
1: very, very fragile after that. She wanted grass to feed some chickens and then I gave her grass, but she threw the grass away every time I gave it to her and it was like, then rolled it down yeah. the hill. Because, and then I was like, I want grass. So I gave her grass and then she threw the grass away and then just <laughs> threw herself on the floor. And I was like, today is not your day, kid. Yeah, they have
0: big feelings, don't they?
1: So many big feelings mm. about really small things. Anyway. Yeah. That's my source because sometimes that's just life.
0: Yeah. I have mm-hmm. to uh, I did this I do the same thing that you do it, it in the first instance is that I walk away from the tantrum because yeah. I'm just like nah, I'm not going to buy into it. But then once yeah. the calm because it's always about something bigger than whatever it is that they're actually having a tantrum about. It's always just yeah. like for me for Ziggy anyway, it's it's like she wants attention and it's because yep. I haven't sat with her and eaten my breakfast with her, for instance. Yep. And I'm always just like, I always say, is it because of this? Because yep. I actually know deep down what it's about. And she yeah, goes, what?
1: yes, mummy. And I'm like, I okay. Okay.
0: So we I just need to learn what was the words.
1: I did it for this time. Like it came out of nowhere. We were having mm. a great morning. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. she didn't know what it was for either. She might have just been feeling a bit moody. Because she was really happy. She waltzed mm. out of her bedroom today with her outfit in her on the coat hangers. She walked out her bedroom with her dress and her tutu. And was like, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Put these on. And she was over the moon. And then everything fell apart. Mm. Here we are.
0: Oh, dear. The life with uh, under... What are they, under five? We'll say under five. Yeah. Under fives. I'm hoping that it gets better.
1: Oh, it's got to. (laughs) Although, teenage girls. Anyway, we digress.
0: We digress, yeah.
1: But here we are, and I'm excited.
0: Today's guest is very exciting, so can't wait to introduce her.
1: Yes. This episode of The Source is brought to you by We Audition. We are big fans of this platform and we plug it relentlessly in workshops and with actors. We hear so often actors can't find a scene partner for their audition, and this is the immediate solution. It's a global platform that helps you find a scene partner on demand through video chat for rehearsals and self-tapes worldwide. So if you need an accent or just decide to tape at 2am, We Audition is where you'll find someone. It also enables actors to meet casting directors, agents, and industry experts for one-on-ones through video chat. Sign up for a membership to access actors and industry professionals all around the world. You could also be a reader for other actors, which is a great way to continue practicing and playing with scenes. We're offering our listeners a 25% discount on your membership when you use the code SOURCE 25. That's S A U C E 25. Head to weaudition.com to sign up. Source25 for your discount. We're super excited to introduce our guest, Maddie Dyer. Right. Mads has been writing, directing and producing film, TV and web content for the last decade. And her award winning short films have screened at numerous festivals. Mads has completed two director attachments, one with Rachel Griffiths on Ride Like a Girl and the other with Stenders on Slim and I. Following her attachment with Rachel, Mads has been developing projects with Rachel's production company, including Saving Gary Sweet, a TV comedy project that she has co created and written. Mads has two feature films in late development that she's co writing and directing Blood Sisters and Trouble Carmel, Karma Christmas. Welcome,
2: Maddie. Hello, you lovely ladies. Very Thanks nice for joining you. us. It's a pleasure. Had nothing else to do. It's over. <laughs> No, but thank you for having me.
1: No, we're so happy to have you from sunny Townsville.
2: That's right. Up with my parents in the spare bedroom, just yeah. having a great old time of it. Is yeah. Um, well, it's fully there open up there, isn't it? It is. It's. I mean, no one even knows what a pandemic is up here. It would seem. <laughs> Let alone a face mask. Um, no, it's it's absolute divine intervention for me. I came up here for my brother's 30th, um, packed a small little suitcase from Melb's and then have been up here for a good couple of months ever since. So that's the yeah. way it goes. Have
1: yeah. you sorted out your um, your minimal underwear problem?
2: Oh, yeah. So I found a Target and I, I will right. not go anywhere else. Target all the way. So I did find one. So <laughs> um, things are on the up, you know. Yeah,
1: great. Stocked out. <laughs> Um, So can you tell us, Mads, we start every episode with what is your source of the week?
2: Okay. I've had a really interesting week. Um, uh, In terms of, I'm going to frame it just because of what we're talking about here and and the industry and all of that stuff, but I made a little web series a good few years ago now on very little money, all of that typical web series stuff, and it's just been been made into a half-hour uh, TV comedy in French, which is gonna air on uh, CBC uh, at the end of this month. And I just, I just saw the promo image literally a couple of days ago. Um, so that would have to be my source because I'm just like, what the actual, like I can't believe yes. this actually happened from, wow. from such humble beginnings, you know? That's very wild, amazing.
0: congratulations.
2: Thank you so much. It is very wild, very wild indeed. Um, and I, didn't, I don't know if it's really been done so much in Australia yet, but obviously when I did release the web series called Sexy Herpes, which was, you know, 2016 or something like that, you put it out into all the web series, festival circuits and things, and you start to understand that Australia is one of the top kind of leaders in short form content making, and we're quite revered. Um, and, yeah, lo and behold, someone was at a festival, God knows where, and went, oh, I like this idea, let's buy the TV rights and and make our own version. So, you know, years on, it's like, what the hell? Wow. 2016 yeah. to
0: 2021.
2: I know, right? Five That's years. That's wild. Yeah. A very wild ride. Um, it's also because- crazy that, like, something from
1: 2016, you've made it so well that it's been able to be translated five
2: years later yes like I think right I think I can speak to that in some ways too I don't know like I feel like it was pretty ahead of its time like it was pretty out there at the at the beginning and I, I I kind of had a few of those moments of self-doubt like oh god have we like pushed it too far is it a bit too transgressive if that's a thing like I don't know where everyone's at with everything and I feel like as the years it's like kind of matured like a nice wine you know it's starting to make a lot more sense to people or people can kind of resonate with it a little bit more and maybe overseas audiences also have picked it up a little bit quicker just in terms of different cultures and kind of what they appreciate and I know Canada's pretty out there with its stuff and obviously the French Canadian audiences seem to kind of be in that space and really receiving it quite well so far so yeah, it could be something to do with that maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. It
0: just goes to show what um, creating web series and, you know, that sort of short-form content, how successful you can be
2: with that. Well, exactly. And, and no one, I don't think anyone thought it would go this far. Do you know what I mean? And I, mm. I do love the kind of analogy, it's the gift that keeps on giving like herpes itself. It's <laughs> just self-fulfilling. Um, but I did not see this coming at all. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to the producers now and we're talking about maybe re, uh, rejoining the team to sell to English territories like the UK and US and maybe renegotiating creative involvement because we are the creators still. This is my business partner, Dan Mulverhill and I. We're the creators on this show still, but we're not creatively involved per se because they've obviously bought the rights to do whatever they want, um, which is going to be really interesting to see how our kind of characters and then the new characters all kind of play out and what those kind of um, plot lines look like and where where it actually goes as well. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, uh, didn't see it coming. And they want to put it into the international Emmys as well oh. and could be nominated. I mean, that's gone real far, but it's oh,
0: dream big. Yeah, I, you know, have, the I have the vision. I have the vision.
2: That's right. That. there you go so that's my source I was just like whoa that that just blew me away nice little shot in the arm um during a kind of weird time I guess yeah
0: mm. yeah yeah wow love congrats it. that's it's good a you. good source of the week
1: that was great
2: oh, no. you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so I guess we can just start with how about you tell us about Mad's journey what's Mad's journey into this crazy world because you wear a lot of hats in this world I do you get into it.
2: I've got a very big head for lots of hats. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I, I, I'm one of those people. I think I've realised now, as as you get a bit older and a bit wiser, I need to understand the mechanics of what I'm doing from every angle, if possible. Um, I'm one of those people that need to work really hard to know I can do it. Um, and so the curiosity, in terms of, I guess, t- storytelling itself, has kind of. Uh, I guess, eventuated in in me taking on a bit more of a multidisciplinary uh, approach. So I started out acting. I studied in Toowoomba. I rolled around on the floor for three years and got my acting degree, um, dredged up childhood memories. It was really awesome. But what I loved about um, doing that was a lot of our um, study was in terms of, like, obviously storytelling. And Uh, devising our own work as well and that's when i started to go oh i quite like this i really like the idea of writing and directing and producing my own stuff so um i went and studied at international film school sydney um i moved there busted out and just kind of gave it a crack only stayed there for a little while i just wanted to get all the kind of paperwork and the understanding of it to then take it out and just actually make stuff because that's where it gets hard you know the difficulty of um being in a in an institution and studying versus going out there and making connections and um, backing yourself which is a really big leap often for people and I fully respect how much courage that takes so went and did that and obviously I had my business partner Dan with me uh, for the last 10 years so we had the kind of um, support with each other and that kind of simpatico to allow ourselves to grow creatively as well. but yeah so i've just been kind of making content ever since then basically which has been a good 10 years or more um and that started obviously with your typical short films and doing all of that and you know i was doing a few acting gigs here and there when they would pop up so you kind of meet people uh, through that cross-pollination as well which is awesome but yeah the web series for for dan and i it's really funny because that was like you know we made you know tv pilots and tried to sell bits and pieces like that and short films but the web series was like okay this is our last crack at it we're getting over it we've been going for a good while let's just make this our calling card if people don't like it well then we'll just i don't know go walk work at I don't know, somewhere Woolies, will will ease i don't care i don't i don't mind just give me a job anywhere but this industry anyway so we did it and then obviously things just started to uh, gain momentum from there again which was kind of almost a really nice um reminder to stick at it and kind of keep going. So that was a bit of a turning point for us where we went, okay, what we're doing does kind of um, hit people where it needs to. and um our philosophy around what we do is is getting noticed now, so we'll we'll stick in and do the hard yards. but that's it, kind of where it's been from.
1: At what point in the business did that happen? how How far in did you suddenly? about six years? okay. So, yeah, it was about 2010
2: say. that I studied at film school and did the short films and did the, you know, I've got a TV idea, does anyone want it? And then learning how that all works, all of that stuff. It was about six years in for us mm-hmm. both where we just went, okay, we're just going to go. And we also did a Cert for in small business management just to try and understand how to run our own company. Mm-hmm. And we actually did the NICE program, which I think still going. But if you're, yeah. if you're receiving any Centrelink payments or on the, books there you can actually say hey i've got a business idea can you support me and we said we want to do a production company and you actually get supported for a year so just flat line payments no questions asked and um any money you make on the business um you get to keep plus a you know side job so it's actually a really amazing um opportunity for for anyone who's kind of wanting to you know step up and do something in that space so that actually was about 2015 we kind of did that and it just helped us kind of uh, officially uh, put ourselves on the map I guess um but
1: yeah so did the content come before the production company like you'd already had an idea yeah
2: yeah we were already kind of doing things it was just more we started to understand that unless we kind of had an idea of how to produce and how to own our own work and then how all the bits and pieces work in terms of selling it and um, positioning yourself within the industry and um, just all the kind of distribution and, and uh, you know, network acquisition versus network commissioning, all of this kind of stuff that we had no idea about. We knew that we had to kind of step up and start to... Um, play in that space as producers to to, be, to even understand how it all works. So that was kind of our, our I guess, next kind of line of thinking from, you know, doing just a few short films and creating a few things to kind of going, okay, we want to play in the big game, big league and understand it a little bit more. Mm. Um, and that gives you a lot of power too when you start to um, produce your own work because then you start to understand just how important you know, owning your content is, or at least having it in the right hands, because you obviously don't know if you're going to be able to kind of work with the right people or not, and what, what their values are, and kind of if they've got your best interests at heart, and all of that stuff. And that's where it gets really dicey for a lot of content makers, I think. So, um, and that's a long journey, because no one can just go, hey, here's the here's the rule book, this is how it goes. You've got to really kind of just have a project, reach out and and have it go to shit or not um, to understand the mechanics of it a little bit more in depth. Yeah, Um, I mean,
0: we talk about this a lot in terms of just like at a grassroots level on the job training and there's nothing that you can, like you can't even get a degree as a casting director. I don't know how you would even teach that. Um, So you just really have to learn as you go and just fill yourself full of knowledge in for, in every aspect of the process.
2: Trial by fire, yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is is that every kind of like every kind of role that you find yourself in, whether it's casting or acting or directing or writing, it all informs the other. Like so, the more you kind of pick up, the more it snowballs, and you start to have a greater understanding of each discipline in and of itself, which I think is amazing. But again, this stuff doesn't just happen overnight. It's got to be so time-honoured. And I think that you're right, there's no kind of one way to do things. You know, there's a gun-for-hire approach where you just slot in and say, I'm going to write for other people or I'm going to direct for other people. But for me, I always wanted to create my own content and and then you have to really understand how to protect that as well as you kind of assemble a team and figure out a, a pathway forward, which is different every time. And then obviously there's a lot of pitfalls there as well. Mm. is yeah. there
1: something that like current mads would tell earlier days mads when you were first starting it in this um,
2: yeah I think it's oh, for me it's trust your gut because um you know uh I often I'm I, I get along with everyone generally speaking and I'm very open and um I think it's like dating really because I'm going really hard at the moment but like yeah. you know the red flags it's like there were a lot of red flags with certain people I chose to collaborate with or entrust my work with that I just overrode and kind of went, oh, look, it's fine. They, they'll be good because of this, that and the other. But in essence, I should have listened to my gut up front and gone, no, no, I'll, I'll hold off. I'll, the right person or the right opportunity will present. I've just got to trust my gut here. So I think I um, wasted a lot of time, had a lot of disappointment from not doing that. Um mm. Yeah, in terms of just lots of things as well. But I think the most important thing I can say in terms of being a content creator and having projects that last years and years and years is really knowing yourself and really knowing who is best for the project and the team um, together as well. Mm.
0: Yeah. God, I, I feel like so many people have been burned. I mean, we've got a thousand stories that we could share in terms of people that we know or even ourselves over the years that yeah we we definitely should have trusted our gut too
2: no and that's the thing and, and you don't know until you go through it but I think that's also again harks back a little bit to trying to really understand the mechanics so that knowledge is power right so you know as soon as we started to get the production company in and, and understand the business side of it and understand the producing side of it we had the power to then go actually you're talking bullshit right now or, hey, I don't think that's a really good deal for us. And only through doing these kind of step-ups um, could we could we know what that really looks like um, mm. and the power of obviously, yeah, owning your work or, yeah, having that kind of creative control. It's, it's so important because it's inherently so personal and it's going to take years and years of your life. So when you have a project fall over because of X, Y, Z, things that could have maybe been... Um, Uh, address sooner or um, stopped all to begin with like it's it's heartbreaking when that happens so that's why it's so important to have that understanding and that awareness early on Mm. Um,
0: just on the business partner side of things because we we obviously know you and Dan pretty well and we've worked with you guys for a number of years now. Um, and we know that you're both quite different people. Yeah. So how does this, how does your dynamic work?
2: Well, I mean, again, it's very complimentary. Um, and obviously we've been married as well. I, I mean, you guys know that, but like that was its own beast. We were together 11 and a half years and I think we came together because, obviously we loved each other and had a beautiful connection but creatively we had something really special um and you know uh, the marriage hasn't lasted but our uh, our collaborations have and our business have and our kind of love for each other's just kind of translated over and it's mutable I guess in terms of how it all works but um we had a really solid foundation of knowing each other and knowing how we how we work and who we are and that's again, speaks back to how personal it is. Like to find the right collaborator and to find the right business person is so hard because you've got to go through so many kind of phases and um, get really real with yourself and each other. So I'm really grateful for where we are now. It's not been easy, but it's also been incredibly um, right the whole way through. Um, I don't know how else to explain it other than that, but um, he's, he's obviously the go-getter. He loves getting on the blower and hey, gone. and maybe, <laughs> you know, hassles people a bit, but you've got to as well, because we're all busy and we all kind of see that email and go, oh, I'll get back to that. And that never happens. And that's me more. Um, but then, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I do all the kind of bureaucratic BS, you know, the, the forms and the, you know, applications and that kind of more quiet thing. And then he goes out and kind of sells us and pushes us a bit. And so, um those, those are our kind of more natural default positions. But then, of course, you know, um, we both go into the other spaces as well. But we have found a very complementary dynamic there for us. Yeah.
1: And do you guys write together um, and do you do it together? Do you write separately and regroup and discuss feedback? How do you go about
2: creating? Normally- yeah, it's interesting. It's normally always just a phone call and we just crack so much open within very little time, a very concentrated effort, and then it's like, okay, Dan, do you want to go spew that out? Yeah, I will, and then I do a pass or and we can do it back and forth a bit like that. But there's nothing better for Dan and I, we'd agree, than being in the room, just laughing our tits off, just acting it out as we go and just making it really kinesthetic. But we don't have the... Um, luxury of that often and and a lot of us don't and also it's still really good to have that um, workflow where you know he does a pass of something then I do a pass because it also helps you build up yourself because as much as it's great to create with someone it's also really important to build up your own craft trust your own um, your own self when you choose to make a change here or there so I think there's Again, each project offers up a a kind of way it wants to work. Um, And so we don't generally have a a specific way. And even some people I've been maybe engaging with on some new projects and things, some of them go, oh, how do you like to work? And I just go, "Um, it just depends, really. It depends on the people. Um, I keep very organic with that. And Dan's the same. But he's very much the person that wants to act it out and talk it out. And then I'm one of those people that muse for a long time and he goes, where are you? Are you going to get me that thing? And I go, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. And it's just sticking away in the back of my head. And then it just spews out one night and I won't sleep and I'll just get it all out. And he'll go, Oh, there you are. And I go, yeah, here I am. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a weird process and a, a fascinating one actually, but I think everyone's different. And as I say, because we're so lucky in this industry to work with so many different people, um, You know, you're constantly kind of finding out new ways of how you work as well. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, just be a
1: fly on the wall in that. Yeah, (laughs) actually, I just want to be in there doing it with you, (laughs) acting it out. Come next time, please. It's like when Steph and I used to be in the office and we'd get a script and I'd sit there and read it out loud, but I'd just read all the characters. I would love that too. See, I want to be
2: a fly on the wall for that shit. That's awesome.
1: Steph (laughs) just sits there and listens to my (laughs) madness. She's the vet. She's the actor of the two of us. I'm just the. I'm not sure what I'm doing here, really. Uh, (laughs) We're
2: the captive audience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I've (laughs) applauded.
1: My biggest fan.
2: I love that so much. So so good. good. Um, Yeah. I guess.
0: I mean. I guess it's just being about being flexible, really, which we talk about all the time in in the casting room, Um, and you can apply that to every discipline, because it's the same with casting as well. And you also do some casting. So you would know this. Um is that yeah, every every project offers up a different way of how it wants to be cast. And you work out a strategy based on what that script what is demanded of that script, I guess.
2: Yep. That's so true. Um and it's a scary place sometimes to be in, um, because you wanna have sometimes it all sorted and have an idea of where it's going and what it's doing. And then, yeah, like I say, it kind of has its own magic often, a project, and you've got to respect that and honour that and just let it kind of speak to you often. Um, I think that's what, yeah, again, it it keeps coming back to what we spoke about just before. It's like there's no roadmap with this stuff. It's different every time, even within a a kind of discipline or a, a kind of role that you play. So, yeah, that's why it gets so hard to kind of feel like you've got a handle on half of this stuff. Mm. Mm, yeah
1: so how did you go from like how do you go with we're working with you well we've worked with you on a couple of projects um one which is still in development Trouble Karma Christmas but how do you go from the fact that you love acting stuff out and you love all this character work but then you write something and then you direct it but you're not in it yeah where how do you love the different roles and remove yourself from certain roles
2: I'm very one-track minded so um like often people have gone oh you're gonna put yourself in this that you're doing or that I say absolutely not if I'm directing it like I'm just fully like just focused on that and just want to do a really shit hot job of that and it's the same for writing when I'm writing something I'm not really thinking as a director yet I'll get images and ideas and and things but I'm I'm very much got that hat on so I do see myself as literally taking off a hat and putting another one on I have a lot of trouble going between um so uh, you know it's it yeah with the acting for instance like I find that very separate um like it's more just like hey give me some money and I'll have a crack for you that's more (laughs) where I sit with that I'm not necessarily like hugely passionate on uh, kind of progressing in that way it's more I can do it I love doing it in the right space on my terms when it feels right but when it comes to writing and directing I definitely am kind of Uh, very much just laser beam focus on doing that and trying to do that do do justice to the story and I fully respect more talent driven projects like if one popped up where it was really autobiographical and about me it makes sense to put myself in it or whatever but that's not really where my projects are often landing and I'm very happy about that too I really do like just being behind the camera and focusing on that and again it comes back to same thing like every project asks for a different degree of involvement like I can't tell you some of them I go oh I've created this great idea I'm writing on it but I think there's a better director here or um, you know same for writing I think more people need to be writing this than myself and I might just step back and and direct it once it's been written or something like it's just about really feeling out what what the project needs as well organically
0: while we're on the topic of directing, um, you've been a director's attachment for two of the most notable names in the biz, crew Stenders for Slim and I and Rachel Griffiths on Ride Like a Girl. Can you tell us about your experience on both of these projects and what your key takeaways from each were?
2: Okay, yes, absolutely. So Ride Like a Girl was the first one um, and that was five months actually. So it was like I was director attachment but I was also director assistant essentially um so a da so that that meant that i it kind of just gave me the full term of pre-prod and production with rach and the team um that was a gauntlet and a half as it probably should be but um for anyone that's seen the film it's obviously based on michelle Payne's journey as a um you know a jockey and her life like basically from her birth essentially or, you know, very young kind of through. And so it's a very epic story with so many years covered, decades. Um, So a huge cast because she's from a big family and then the horse racing and the recreation of Melbourne Cup and there was just so many moving parts to this one. Um, So it it was amazing to kind of be privy to the process across the board and to work with Rachel so intimately as well. And what I loved about Rachel was that she let me step up Um, particularly in casting uh, with Nikki Barrett I was able to kind of because we had to cover as I say Michelle and her siblings from really young to kind of teenage to 40 or something like that like it was a lot a lot of kind of growth and maturation in the characters so you often had to you know obviously cast actors that could span a good 10 years or more um and then get the child versions of those so that was very interesting but i loved it it was like a little puzzle we had a big wall like you know a beautiful mind just everything just everywhere like ah! um, <laughs> but it was you know again i got to step up there and then even with the um again this is why being multidisciplinary is such a thing that i'm all for and i love because i i you know edited a few show reels way back when when we had our production company starting like for you know bread and butter and stuff like that but when it came to recreating the Melbourne Cup, there was construction at Flemington, there was all this stuff, and um, we had all this Channel 7 footage that hadn't really been kind of organised and catalogued and, and, you know, well, you've got the script, but it's like, well, what can we use from the footage we've got versus what do we need to shoot? And that hadn't really been ironed out yet. I just put my hand up and went, look, hey, I can just sit at home and have a go at this. And so I was able to get on my software, final draft, or final cut, sorry, and do all of that and before I knew it all their heads of department were like, Mads, can you can you send me over that reel and the, the catalog and all of this? Because it was just imperative, it was done and it just hadn't been. And again, I was able to step up and um, really help iron out how they were going to approach that because it was huge. And I don't think anyone fully, um, I think everyone was shitting themselves about it to be fair, because it was towards the end of the shoot and it was just going to be a lot. So all those little moments where I was able to step up gave me that, um, sense of purpose and and really built that confidence within me as well and i'm just really grateful that it was able to go that way but what i got from rach was she's very in her body she's very gut instinct um and she really helped me understand that because i think it's naturally kind of um how i operate but often often i get too cerebral too in my head or too methodical and i love how she was just so kinesthetically there and able to go off energy and and just trust trust anything that came up for her and um she's very similar as well to Tony Rogers who I've done a lot of work with as well who did Wilfred and he's really in his body and really kind of just gut and um it's not necessarily something you can fully explain to people but once you kind of know what that feels like you start trusting that and you can kind of speak from that place on set and in auditions and all of that stuff so um, I, was, I took a lot from her in terms of that, just her trusting her gut and kind of just letting it flow. Um, and, again, yeah, just being a part of the whole process like that on such a huge film with so many challenges, um, yeah, I don't think there could have been a better project to learn that. Yeah, um, I mean oh, the epicness of that
0: film oh, to epic, take that yeah. on as a first director's attachment is massive
2: yes yes that's right so it, it instilled a lot of confidence in me and i know i was very much appreciated by rach and we've been really good friends ever since and collaborators and what i love about uh, her is that we have very similar sensibilities in terms of we don't want to be safe we want to be safe in terms of the woke word safe but safe in terms of getting things up that are kind of um more commercial and kind of a bit of a no-brainer we don't we don't sit in that space we want to be kind of transgressive and pushing the boundaries and um, that's a harder space to be in, but um, it's really nice to find someone that's got that fearlessness in terms of um, creation, I guess. So that's mm. been a really wonderful thing to come from it as well. Yeah, great. Yeah. And what about Criv? Oh, Criv, he's such a gorgeous yeah. man and so prolific. And uh, I had so much respect for him coming into it. Um, obviously, Slim and I are a very different kind of vibe because it's a docker, obviously, and I got to meet all the incredible musos attached to that and see some beautiful live performances right up close and I well my biggest takeaway is that I actually like country music didn't see that oh there you go (laughs) (laughs) Um, no no but um Creed's just a really gorgeous person very open again Mm -hmm. um uh I think it really hit home for me that I think a lot of his success is down one he's very talented and has such a great eye and has come from that technical background too. Like he's always framing up and he's got that cinematographer um, background, but he is just a really good person Mm. and he's just great at relating to everybody. And no matter who you are, he's, he's got you. And he's, he's there for you and respects every cog in the um, machine. So uh, I just love that he's um, yeah. I just thought that he built rapport so effortlessly, so easily. um, And I think that goes a really long way you know Mm. and that's not something you can teach it's about doing your work knowing your shit knowing who you are and being a generally very good person so I really got that from him um I was doing a lot of production managing essentially on that one too because we were very skeletal in our crew um I didn't get heaps of time right next to crib I was doing a lot of kind of um you know paperwork at the front and having the guests arrive and doing all of that. But again, that was just because I could and I I knew how to do it. So I got to step up and do that a little bit as well. Um, But again, it was just another kind of confirmation of, of, you know, my learnings um, and knowing that I can do um, what I need to in that space. Mm.
0: I guess it's helpful also for you building a culture on set if you have such an understanding of each person's role um, as a crew member.
2: I that is such a good point, and I'm glad you've kind of tapped into that because that is everything the team you assemble and I've kind of spoken to this but the team you assemble um above the line it's obviously so important but the team you assemble below the line your crew they are everything and like there are so many MVPs within that like even on Sexy Herpes I was making everyone coffees every morning because I was just I'd had all my shit ready I, I wasn't the one having to set up and get units sorted and this and that. So, like, what could I do? I could get people's coffees going because we we're, were stretched. But, like, I know a lot of people wouldn't think that's, like, oh, well, you don't have to do that. You're the director. Just go and sit in the corner and, you know, muse on everything. It's like, no, it, it's really important to make sure everyone feels acknowledged and appreciated. And that's what I'm saying with Quiv as well. That was very much there. And um, the culture is everything because if, if – P- and, and actually being – more grassroots and indie you have to make sure that people are getting some kind of mutual benefit like often you're asking people to work for less money or um for you know uh, experience or for you know stepping up into a role they don't normally do because you don't have the money to kind of you know get someone else and as long as everyone's feeling like they're getting some buying into the passion of your story and where you want to take it um and you can only get that through Um, making people feel appreciated and and acknowledged and and having that morale there, I guess.
0: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. tapping into that now, how important is it for, do you think, for for people to accept work that may be not a desirable rate or even, you know, unpaid if it's the right project um, to build their body of work?
2: Oh, I, I, I've done plenty of it and I, I fully think it's so important. Um, obviously, it's good to be um, picky about that because you'll stretch yourself too thin if you say yes to everything and that's where the power of no is really important. But if you can tap into your philosophy and what you want to be and, and who, you know, the kind of people you want to work with, when an opportunity presents itself that's going to give you that stepping stone there, it's a no-brainer. I mean, um, I understand... You know, we've all got our financial stuff we've got to sort out, and it's it's really hard too to make that work, and that's a very delicate balance. But if you can, um, it's it, the power of of networking and working with like minded people and forging those friendships and relationships is priceless because it always comes back. Um, And that's also why it's important to, you know, not burn bridges, of course, to respect that you might not fully understand the way someone else works and just, you know, leave it to the side. But the more you gather momentum with the right people, the more you realise it always comes back Um, tenfold often, you know, that support that you gave, you get that back.
0: Yeah. We, Mm. I mean, we obviously do um, things for free as well. And we did a lot when we were first launching the business to get credits and also get, experience because in long form we didn't have many credits when we first opened the business um but yeah we've found that every project that we have um invested our time and passion in it's always come back whether it be you know gets nominated for an award or it goes from a short form to a long form it it just is really invaluable it has been really invaluable for us to invest our time just in people
1: in relationships and building our network and community has been Mm. huge yeah
2: that is everything it's that generosity of spirit and as i say you can't do it with everything and you've got to be really um kind of clear on and on who or what to put that time into sometimes but it sounds yeah again it's you've kind of tapped into a a greater flow i think
0: Mm. and that's
2: why you're starting to gain that momentum and have that recognition Um, as the cool cats on the block because, you know, you do. You've you've been really generous with your spirit. And that always, Mm. yeah, it's a karmic thing too, I think, you know.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. I I feel like it took us a really long time to um, say no when and trust our gut in that way when we thought things weren't right. It took, like I want to say it took, I feel like it's like the last two years that we've been like, no, we're going to say no to things that aren't sitting right.
2: Yep. Um, yeah. And there's and... there's an art form in that. And it's really again hard to know how to trust your gut. And it's only from kind of having some of these moments where maybe, you know, you didn't listen to it or something's fallen over or not gone very well. Or it's those some of those projects where you feel like you're banging your head against the wall and there's just no there's no relief, like it's not opening out and things aren't getting better. And it's just you've got to have those moments too to kind of know what it's like to be in mm. a good rhythm and um inner flow, I guess is the word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so many,
0: so many great insights. We're gonna be a little bit narcissistic here and bring up Blood Sisters because we cast it and we love that project. Um yeah. we cast this back in twenty nineteen. And you guys came to us off a cold email that I sent probably like a year earlier. I sent you guys an email saying, hey, um, you guys look cool. Um, can we work together in some way? I was not very cool um, about my cool. about my cold emailing. Yeah, it was
1: like a classic in primary school, like, do you want to be friends? <laughs> it was really just, just like, just- I want to be friends with you. And then we just never heard back from you and we were oh, like, oh, no, I no, no. We don't want to be friends. Can no, no, Dan later? wrote back.
0: Dan wrote oh. back basically immediately saying, thanks for your email and we'll keep you in mind. But I fully was just like, we will never hear from them again. So I crossed it friends. off the list and moved on. And then like a year later, you guys emailed us on the same thread, I'm pretty sure, that I yeah. emailed you on. And you were like, hey, we've got this project. And I was like, holy shit. Like, we're friends. the emailing actually works yeah. to make friends. Who would have thought? <laughs> we can 100%. sit with them. Um,
2: well, so, that's the thing too, like, because we didn't have, we don't have, he, you don't have heaps going on in the earlier stages. Like, you know, you want production to happen, but it's, you know, it's few and far between to kind of get that going. So, yeah, I remember us going, oh, they, they seem really cool. Let's hit them up when the time's right. So a year later, like you say, God. Yeah. So. I mean, this was one of our favourite
0: casting stories because we got to cast three really diverse women in the lead roles, Shabana, Aziz, Tamala Shelton and Naomi Sequeira. Oh,
2: God, you just slayed it. Oh, Oh God. And Australia-wide,
1: we could just go nuts.
0: We were just like, you guys gave us no, there was no parameters apart from, you know, here's the script and the mood board and here's kind of what I'm thinking and a couple of conversations that we'd had. And we were like, can, so can we go like Australia wide? And you were like, yeah, yeah. Just whatever to go get for. the best people. And we were like, whoa. <laughs> um, and so we were able to cast out of, um, we cast Shabana out of Adelaide, Tamala out of Melbourne and Naomi out of Sydney. Yes. And like and it shot in Brisbane. And <laughs> it shot in Brisbane. And we were like, holy shit, this is like, oh, wild so one of our favorite casting stories but um how did that project come about initially
2: wow that that again um and by the way you just slayed it and i'm so glad that you know there was that freedom for you to like both just expand and cast that mat really wide because it really did pay off because the three actors were just incredible and i cannot wait to work with them again but yeah, um, that the the idea for Blood Sisters came from actually Dan Dan and I had just moved to Melbourne, and this would have been two thousand and twelve or thirteen, and we saw this terrible story about a, a girl that had been in a relationship where she was abused, like you know, violently abused by a dude, and um, she in self defence killed him one day when he was you know obviously laying into her or whatever. Sorry, I should have said trigger warning there, but anyway, um. And she was, going, you know, up up in court and probably going to jail for this. And it was just such a, you know, this was before, obviously, Me Too and all of that. But it was it was such a, an aggravating and upsetting story to read that someone that was trying to um, defend themselves against something so atrocious um, was probably going to have to go to jail for something like that. And it just it just the theme and the kind of the thoughts and and greater kind of issues around that just spawned this idea for for Dan and I of, like, imagine a couple of girls, you know, accidentally killing a dude and not feeling like they're going to be believed. It's a bit Thelma and Louise version 6.0, whatever kind of incarnation it would be. But, like, we just thought, imagine having to run because there was no other kind of logical um, reasoning. Because, yeah, for these very stories, right, oh, you'll just go to jail um and so that's kind of where it came from just this random article we found and then it took years before we kind of started to get momentum with it you know you put things on the back burner a bit you have to muse and just kind of let things crystallize and we had other things we were doing I guess but um yeah then it started to get a little bit more momentum when we um yeah put together a bit of a you know a pitch deck and a basic idea of kind of what we'd do and that's when we started getting the Spring Queensland Screen Oz support and um, it was going to be a 10 by 10 web series actually. Um, that was kind of what we thought was our best uh, formula for it after doing sexy herpes and, and this and that and this was a time when the 10 by 10 was starting to become a well-known uh, format particularly overseas with a few um, companies that were opening up looking for that kind of shorter form content but you know, for various reasons, the market's changed and it's, you know, constantly changing. So it was also a bit for us like, well, let's just stay format agnostic in the sense of if it's a feature, great. If it's a TV show, longer form, great. If it's the web series, fine, whatever. And then slowly and surely we began building a team, of course, and of other producers and this and that. And um, we got some more money to obviously shoot the short film. So We were able to get you guys onto to cast it and do all of that. And that became the proof of concept for whatever it ended up being. Um, and then we started getting quite a bit of interest to do it as a kind of more mini series or, you know, four by one or, um, that kind of thing. And we've been kind of just poking around the networks here and overseas. And we've got, um, Bavaria fiction interested, these German producers, really amazing, accomplished people, um, keen to maybe co-pro it more like, holy shit. Okay. Um, and they were, you know, really keen on the idea, loved it. But, you know, with COVID, the last couple of years, and I'll speak to that kind of, I guess, space now, but, you know, it's really hard to get networks on. There's a bit of a COVID bottleneck because all the kind of shows that have already been mounted, uh, obviously it makes sense to do, you know, another season and this and that. And then, of course, the more established um, producers and teams are getting in now because it's it's safer. And I get it. Yeah. Um, so we were having a lot of trouble trying to find a home for Blood Sisters. And our kind of last of call might have been ABC, I think it was. And, again, their demos, their demographics are, you know, skewed obviously to kind of more the parents of uh, the girls in this story or something. And it just started to get a little bit too far away from what it was originally meant to be. So now we've come back to making it as a feature film, you know. And, again, this is why it, no work's lost. Like, obviously, we've developed it so far into TV land we've got such a greater understanding, but now we're just going to distill it back down again to uh, a feature where we can kind of unapologetically make it how we wanted to in the first place without network involvement or without having to um, do the square peg in the round hole thing. And as much as the German connection has been amazing and awesome, if it's not going to be the project it's meant to be or that it started out being, then we start to lose ourselves. And that just became very apparent to us. Um, so we want to do it as a feature, we'll be getting the girls back, we'll be doing all of that in the next kind of six to 12 months. And then we can look at, you know, if it is a long form or a TV show down the track, right, we can reignite those sparks, but um, it's been a really long road of kind of twisting and turning and gaining a bit of a momentum here and then falling away in other other spots. So. Again, it's just that time-honoured thing. It's not lost. It's just got to kind of go through a few different bir- birthing processes, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how the one one proof of concept or one project can go through that many evolutions before it kind of comes full circle.
2: A hundred percent. Like it's crazy, but um, I just I really couldn't quite sit well with the idea that to get it up in this country it would have to be about the parents which i again happy for that in a lot of ways they are so important to this story but because it is about intergenerational trauma and the conditioning of why girls would feel like they have to run if they accidentally kill someone in self defense right but again it's it's about the girls it's about them being on the road it's about the coming of age from such a situation and you can do that in feature land because it's, and you can obviously have a bit more edge and and push the envelope a little bit more because there aren't all those kind of bits of red tape around. So yeah, that's where we're are going to go a bit rogue with it again and kind of keep the spirit of it alive, I guess. Um, yes, I love but that. Yeah, there you go. It's been years again, but here we are um, yeah. finishing off the final like kind of draft of the the feature. And we've got most of the team still organised around it, some really great people on, um, and it's just about kind of getting the funding in the next little while. And thankfully, you know, our key caster, again, I love this about features is that you can keep your cast. You don't need to sometimes play into, oh, we need this name and that, and and I fully respect that that's what you need to do often, but I like that we can keep it still quite indie and raw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. That, that excites us too. Yeah, I know, casting point so we're of view. calling you up again, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we
0: can't wait. <laughs> um, to, well, then going into casting, for that, when, when you're looking at audition tapes as a, with your director's hat on, yeah. what, I mean, this is a very subjective um, question that I'm going to ask, um, what do you, what stands out for you or what makes you want to call someone back?
2: um it's definitely that unspoken joy of discovery you can see in someone's tape so it's it's the, those moments sometimes in between when they're speaking where you know that there's something so powerful in them or something so magical there where you just don't know what they're going to do next so um and often you get that confirmed when you see a few tapes and you see how much they can push and pull things into lots of directions while staying true to their intention and kind of what the character needs to kind of you know portray, I guess, to a point. So it's it's a really unspoken energy that I I, I still have trouble fully understanding what it is, yeah. but I just know that it's that it's it's generally when an actor can um, it's not about getting them to improvise or have them paraphrase or change the lines because. I mean, again, I'm open to that. I love that shit. But, I mean, a lot of people want to stay true to the writing and I fully respect that too as, as an actor. But it's just those little little bits where they push the boundaries a bit within themselves because they're not thinking, right? They're just there and they're fully feeling it. And you can't be word perfect when you're fully in that space because it's not about getting it um, right. It's about getting it real, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Andy McPhee actually gave me that line when I was working with him on a short film um mm. he was like hey you know man's like hope you realize but uh i don't know if anyone knows andy but i, mean, I love andy but he, i know it was like you know i just get it i get it real not right and i was like hey full respect um and i think that's a really um great thing to take away from that but yeah it's generally that magical space where they're just exploring and they haven't made any major decisions yes there's choices made but it's almost like you feel like they're just getting made in the moment and not something that's mm. too um Preempt it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you've articulated that beautifully
0: because yes. we we always get asked that question when we are looking at casting tapes or we're in the room and we're recommending people, um, and it's again, it's the gut thing. But it's also, I just get this feeling in my body that I'm like, mm. that is, that's the person.
2: Yes, it's and an I can't energy. unsee it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and mm. you
1: can't keep. You just keep going back to that person. You'll watch a hundred more tapes, but for some reason. Your gut is still sticking in that person for something that was not on the page.
2: That's right, and I think that's where it's important. I think for actors to know that it's not necessarily personal because it's one of those things where uh, it's it's just a it's beyond them in some ways. Sometimes you know, it's it's just it maybe the look, but then how they are and their voice. And again, if they're in that space where they can stay quite organic and open, um, it it can be anyone. It's just it's just when it's the one, it's the one. Um. Mm often, and it's quite a definitive knowing, um, and that's different with every project again, um, but I think I think the hardest thing as an actor is to stay open and stay in that space and not try too hard or try and get too in your head, because you can see it and feel it often, um, but it's something that, you know, you can spend a long time trying to understand even within yourself how you're coming across, and it's a real journey even in that kind of space as well. Um, But it's an openness, I think. Yeah, um, and keeping that joy as well. Sometimes I just see some actors, and I think, and I know that space. I know where where you you can be in your head, where you've just lost the joy for a bit. You've been rejected enough, or you've you've been trying really hard and it's not working, and or you might be in a rut in your personal life, and you can just see it. Yeah, and that's not. It's transient. Like it goes away, but you can sometimes feel when that joy is not there.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. Particularly Mm. from being in the room and experiencing the energy before you hit record yeah mm-hmm. you know you can you yep. can definitely tell when those moments are happening for actors
2: and i also love actors that are just like hey so yeah is that what do you reckon is that all right or what do you reckon And like it's very hard i think sometimes for i know i've had it myself like i'm so scared to go so was that good or bad or what uh should i try something new like it's hard to stay in that open feedback loop space um, yep but it's that fearlessness of going so where 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 did i land like what do you think like how am i pitching it like just those so those people that are so open and they don't take it personally and they're not kind of worried about how you know it's a it's a collaboration and they understand that and they're kind of right in that space
0: yeah, yeah.
1: to wrap it up Mads with our rapid fire yeah baby are you ready I hope so okay. I'm gonna start with something really nice yeah what are you most grateful for right now
2: um
0: family nice Crushed it. um do what need to do more do you want more or no no, no that's no, good
2: no, you...
0: okay yeah. um what is your walk-on song walk-on song
2: when I Walk where? Well
0: when you like okay, so if you if you if sexy herpes won an Emmy and you got to do an acceptance speech, what is your walk on song?
2: Oh shit. Um <laughs> at the moment I think it would be um oh, what's it called? I've been listening to it heaps. It gives me so much joy. It's Gold Dust. Um Ooh. Uh I can't remember what the actual I'll tell you who it's by, sorry. It's actually such a good song and it gives me so much joy. Gold Gold Dust. Dust. I've got to add it to my playlist. It's so good. Gold Dust by, see, look at me. I've got no idea what my favourite walk-on song is right now. Gold Dust by DJ Fresh. Great. I'm going to listen to that after this. I love it. I just love it so much right now and that would be totally my song. Okay. Great. Great. Love it. For
1: okay that. what do you have the least amount of filter about
2: um uh stuff to do with um uh, life and death heavy I know it's really heavy but like I have such strong feelings on um where I sit with it and I'm just so like I just loved, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I, I've am i got this quest to try and understand what the purpose and meaning of life is, and I know we all have that to a point, but I am constantly living and breathing by what that means because I know it feeds back into how I operate in day-to-day and what my philosophy around being a person but also being a filmmaker and a creator is. So it's life and death shit that I am no filter about. I know that sounds really out there. but um, no, we love I love it just yeah. love talking about it. I love yeah, talking my theories through and then hearing stories about this and that, and and I'll never stop wanting to talk about it and be completely open and unfiltered about it, yeah.
1: I did actually have a question in my questions to you that was about your spirituality and philosophical thinking, but I was like, oh, shit, we've already been going for an hour. I think we need a different
2: episode. For <laughs> <to talk
0: about." laughs> Maybe we well, need I a will, part two, Mads.
2: I will, yeah, yeah please. Well, I will just say... Um, what's that um, Shakespeare quote? Um, we're all players, no, we're all, it's all the stage and all the world of players. Yes, yes, yes. All stage and all the world of players. I believe in past life stuff. I studied hypnotherapy to study past life regression. I know it's a lot, but um, I learned so much about, I got so peaceful from um, delving into that world. And there's a book called Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss, who's a hypnotherapist and a psychotherapist. And I, that's why I also love storytelling and, and acting and that kind of trance-like state and the higher source that we can tap into with all this stuff because I feel like it's just echoing past lives and le- uh, lives and lessons that we've had. And um, so I'm really passionate about kind of that side of things because I feel like we all play different roles in each life for each person. Wow.
1: Mm. I had no we idea you studied
2: you. hypnotherapy.
1: We have to do
2: <laughs> hey? ads 2.0. Yeah, hypnotherapy. I studied that. It was amazing.
1: Oh my god!
0: Okay, yeah, we're gonna have a second part of this this podcast on which will just be Mads,
1: Mads Dyer, the hypnotherapist. Yeah, another half that. <laughs> I know, wasn't
2: that mental?
0: Well, I feel like that's trumped my question because I was gonna ask what the most surprising thing about you that we may not know is.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, hypnotherapy. There you go. So yeah. I am I am technically able to put a sign out the front of my door tomorrow and go, "I'm Mads Dyer, the hypnotherapist." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's so a concept. So that's
0: an that's an, another project in itself.
2: I know, but I hypnotize myself all the time. Like when before sexy herpes, when I was about to direct, I was so shit scared, as you should be and could be. But um, I just did a self hypnosis and, and got my confidence up and just believed in myself, and it it works. I do hypnosis on myself all the time, online meditation station. It's wow. it's. A vibe. I mean,
0: I've been hypnotized before, so I know what it's like. But yeah, it's um. It's a wild thing to be, yeah,
2: out, it's an it, out-of-body
0: experience.
2: It is, but I feel like that flow is often what we tap into often as actors and as um, storytellers in whatever uh, part we're playing. Um, and that's why I think the power of hypnotherapy is something that and hypnosis is something that we're only just scratching the surface of.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh.
1: All right. Okay, well, we've got to finish up with our last question for everyone. You kind of touched on this before, but you might come back with a different answer who would you cast as yourself in a film about your life
2: oh my god can I cast a guy yes John Malkovich (gasps) I love it (laughs) I'll just have to get him a wig um and I guess it'll have to be when I'm a bit older for him to do it now so it'll be future mads being played by John Malkovich in a wig what do you reckon
0: yeah I love it I love the gender love bending that. that you're doing there.
2: <laughs> I just love him so much. Like, Same. I don't know if anyone saw Colour Me Kubrick, but that guy in that for me, he just goes everywhere. He is a fucking mess, but so beautifully there. Um, anyway, I just love him and he, he could play me. That would be great, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. Wow. I love that. That's so good. Well, All right.
1: that's it for us. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: I hope I made a bit of sense. Thanks, Matt. Really did. We love you. <laughs> Thank you. That's the end of the episode. So, we hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to like, subscribe, follow and comment. Share, whatever you do. Um, so tell your people, people. Yeah, tell your people. So other people can also benefit from the clusterfuck that is out <laughs> See you next time.